Fired up, dude. You're listening to Here's the Catch with David Lombardi, Matt Barrows, and Dennis Brown on the Athletic Podcast Network. Well, lots happened since the last time we talked about a week ago, and I'll just go through it right now. Emmanuel Mosley signed a two-year extension with the 49ers. That was last Friday. Then Jed York had his birthday party, and that led to a wild night, both at the birthday party and on social media. And that's when the Kyle Juszczyk extension, a five-year deal, a record for fullbacks, breaking his own record, was essentially announced. Then Jason Verrett re-signed for one year. So the 49ers had both of their cornerbacks locked up between Verrett and Emmanuel Mosley. On the same day, the 49ers decided to restructure D. Ford's contract, which is something that they had to do because D. Ford would be more expensive to cut than to keep. So they're still not expecting D. Ford to be healthy, but the 49ers have at least saved some money. After that, and I think it was at about the same time that the news of that D. Ford uh, restructure broke, the 49ers signed one of his replacements, and that is Samson Ebucom, and they raided the Rams while they did it. He was a free agent, went to college with Kendrick Bourne at Eastern Washington, and they added a light speed rusher who also has some power moves. We'll talk about that in a little bit. On the same day, Kendrick Bourne left to go to the Patriots, so he will not get to be with Ebucom on the 49ers, his former college teammate. And uh, after that, uh, Akella Witherspoon left the 49ers because he was a free agent. He went to Seattle. Then came the really busy night. That was St. Patrick's Day, March 17th, early in the morning. Trent Williams re-signed with the 49ers, a record $138.06 million deal. And then he sent an Instagram tag to Alex Mack, another former all-pro offensive lineman. And Alex Mack signed with the 49ers on a three-year deal. The 49ers also re-signed their nose tackle, DJ Jones, after that. They've hosted Joe Flacco, the quarterback, on a visit to back up Jimmy Garoppolo. And they have signed Trent Sherfield, a receiver and special teams ace who was previously with the Cardinals. I'm almost out of breath, so Matt, uh, why don't you take it away? That's all the 49ers have done in the last five or six days. Yeah, I mean, I think we can we can definitely say that this is a, a better team than uh, it was heading into uh, free agency week. I mean, they, they got a lot done. Um, they've started to fill up some holes, uh, especially on the offensive line and and defensive line, those were two uh, standouts uh, as far as uh, kind of incomplete position groups. But uh, I think everybody would agree that they still have some work to do, and, and most of that work will get done in the draft. But um, you know, signing Trent Williams obviously was the uh, was the the big move of the week. That uh, solidifies a, a high end uh, spot for them. Um, they don't have to think about left tackle for at least another three years. Uh, that's 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 a that's a relief for teams. That's that's a uh, like I said, it's a high end position. If you don't get a guy like Trent Williams, then you're always looking in the draft for these things, and it gives them a little bit more freedom, I think, in the draft to to concentrate on defensive line and uh, and on cornerback. Dennis, uh, which of those moves that you've been reading about uh, watching this week? caught your eye the most as Dave went through that whole list of things that kind of happened here and it looked like it seemed like it was really fast that it kind of happened and John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan and and the ownership pulled the trigger I'm sure they did their research but now my question is is there any money left now especially after you sign 
you know, Trent Williams to that uh, that record-breaking contract that he has. But I'm sure they got it all figured out. But they, there can't be much money left. But I think they address some of the uh, some of the things that they they needed. Secondary, you know, you get a rush in linebacker slash rush in, and you kind of sure up your your secondary a little bit. Jason, I think his contract is interesting because yes, the 49ers gave him great opportunity the last couple of years, him being hurt, but him signing a one year deal. Now he's saying that you know if I'm healthy and I can play up to that Pro Bowl caliber that I can or I've done before. I can get paid again at the next offseason and then Emmanuel Mosley. So, you know, we still don't know what's going on with Richard Sherman, but it looks like, you know, he might not be a 49er next season. But now you've got your one-two punch on your corners. And that's that's my big concern. What's this 49ers defense going to be if you can't have a Nick Bosa or D Ford rushing like they did uh, two seasons ago? Well, Dennis, you asked about the money available. Uh, the 49ers have been doing as much as they can to push the salary cap hits of these new signings backwards past 2021. By the way, the NFL announced they'd signed a new TV deal or several new TV deals with uh, all of the distributors on Thursday. And that means that the salary cap, in all likelihood, is really going to explode. But that won't happen until 2023 or 2024 because that TV deal doesn't take root until 2023. And the salary cap is tied to league revenues. So that likely won't really see a benefit until those revenues start pouring in. However, this is probably the lowest that we're ever going to see the salary cap right now in this 2021 season. So what the 49ers are trying to do to save money right now is is they're trying to sign multi-year deals and, and push the cap hits into 2022 and beyond. That was the highlight of the Trent Williams deal. In fact, his annual average value is $23.01 million. But his first year cap hit is only $8 million, only about 35 36% of that. We've already seen the 49ers do this with deals in the past with uh, Eric Armstead, with George Kittle, similar types of backloads. But they're really doing it with every single contract that they can do it with this offseason, all the way down to Alex Mack. Alex Mack, the center, initially it was reported because he's going to be 36 years old next season. So initially it seemed like they wanted to bring him in on a one-year deal. We just talked to Alex Mack and he said he's just taking things a year at a time. But then Adam Schefter went on TV and said that it's a two-year deal. And now the 49ers announced that it's a three-year deal, which Matt, that just tells me uh, that they're doing some contract funny business here. They're trying to stretch out the cap pit so that they have extra room in 2021. Yeah, it seems like those last two years of, of Mack's deals are, are definitely uh, going most years. I mean, the one guy who's got a one-year deal is Jason Verrett, and um, it's it's interesting because, yeah, they, they added Verrett, they added Mosley. That's good. Those guys could end up being the starters at cornerback uh, this upcoming season, but um, I, I, I almost think that they have to draft a cornerback either in, either in the first or the second round uh, because of that one-year deal. I mean, if, if Verrett is really good, that means uh, he's probably going to be gone in, in 2022 on a, on a big long-term contract. If he's really bad or if he's injured in 2021, he's probably going to be gone too. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's a position that they haven't spent a lot of uh, draft capital on over the last four years. Haven't uh, spent Certainly haven't spent a really high pick. I think Akella Witherspoon in the third round, who's now in Seattle, by the way, um, is, is the highest pick that they've taken there. So... Uh, I, I think first or second round is where you go cornerback uh, in, in this upcoming draft. And, um, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and there's still more to do, I think, in free agency. I mean, that's one of several positions that were pretty stagnant 
this first week. Uh, wide receiver is another one. Safety always seems to be one that languishes uh, uh, in free agency. And then cornerback, and especially a nickel cornerback, there's still at least a half a dozen serviceable, more than serviceable nickel cornerbacks out there, including Kwan Williams. So uh, I think teams are waiting. That That's one of the last pieces that they add to their teams. And it'll be interesting to see whether Kwan Williams and uh, the other guy I sort of circled uh, as a, as one of the 49ers' own free agents, Kerry Hyder, still sitting out there, their sack leader from 2020. So those guys, to me, are still possibilities. I don't know if they can bring in both of them, but um, one of those two coming back, I think, would be yet another sort of shot in the arm for this team um, as, uh, as we kind of go into this second phase of free agency. I think you're right, Matt. I think you build that secondary, you get some of these young guys in the secondary and, and there's, there's a good class of guys coming out. The kid from Bama, was it Sertan? Uh, there's Farley from, uh, West Virginia. There's JC Horn from South Carolina. And, you know, later in the rounds, there's some guys, Campbell and Samuel from Florida state. So that's what you kind of have to do in the NFL is you got to get in the draft. You got to do your work. You got to get some good talented guys and then then you kind of develop them and then they become starters and you know it'd be nice if k1 said listen i still want to be a 49ers this is the you know this is the culture i like i enjoy it i enjoy california and i want to still be a 49er but you know again as an athlete you know, you're looking for the highest bidder. I mean, this this window is so small. And if you have an opportunity to get that big paycheck, you got to go for it. But I want to see the secondary. I think people are thinking, you know, another defensive lineman, another pass rush. I think in the first round, I think the 49ers have to look at that cornerback position. Yeah, I think that they're going to try to definitely fortify the secondary with one of their nine picks in the draft. By the way, in that flurry of what happened this past week, the 49ers also lost one of their 10 draft picks. And they also had Marquise Goodwin back on the roster for about 20 hours. It was just a crazy week when you look back on it. Uh, to explain, in case you missed it, the trade that the 49ers made with the Philadelphia Eagles during the draft uh, in 2020, so that was earlier this, or that was last year, yeah, it's 2021 now, but this is a very 2020 thing to have happened. They make this trade with the Eagles, and I'm guessing that some of the language in the the trade didn't account for the fact that players would be opting out over the course of the subsequent season. I could be wrong on that, though. But basically what happened is that Goodwin never played. The 49ers ran a sixth-round pick swap with the Eagles. And then all of a sudden, two days ago, news came that Marquise Goodwin had been reverted back to the 49ers because one of the conditions of the trade had not been met. The 49ers subsequently had to give up a seventh-round draft pick because the sixth-round pick swap, which the 49ers used to get a higher sixth-round pick, and draft Charlie Werner had to somehow be nullified. So they couldn't just give up Charlie Werner. The league, the league didn't make them do that. But the league said, hey, the 20-pick benefit that you guys got, because they went from like pick uh, 25 to to five in the round. I forgot what it was in the sixth round. But but that bit that, that that jump that the 49ers got, they had to pay for it by giving up one of their their ten picks. So now they only have nine. And, and Matt, I just can't think of a more weird situation uh, than that. Marquise Goodwin and his like four point five million dollar salary cap hit was literally back on the books. It was the same contract the 49ers had traded away. It was back on the books until they released him on Thursday. 
So throughout this whole, you know, bizarro world, Twilight Zone exercise, the 49ers ended up losing a draft pick. Yeah, Goodwin has become like an unlucky coin that <laughs> you, can't, you can't ditch. And um, you're right. I mean, he come, not only does he come back, a guy that they don't really want around, he comes back with $4.5 million against the cap uh, at, a, at a time when, you know, cap space is at a premium. So you're, you're right. Uh, they did not waste time in releasing him and kind of uh, recouping that, that cap space. But um, absolutely, I mean, only in 2020 does something that weird happen. And, and it's only a seventh-round pick. And I don't think it's going to have a big bearing. But that was one of the things that the 49ers were leaning on. The fact that, okay, we've got 10 picks in this draft. Um, you know, that gives us a lot of license to kind of trade around and do this and that. And, of course, draft picks don't cost as much either. So that gives you a little bit of, of cap freedom as well. Um, so it was, it was, I guess, an echo of 2020 um, still happening. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that was just yet another kind of bizarre thing uh, that that happened to this team, and um, you know uh, that brings up wide receiver and what the 49ers are doing there. They did sign this guy from the uh, from the Cardinals that uh, David mentioned in the beginning. He's more of a uh, uh, special teams ace. He's a really good sort of um, stalwart on special teams for the Cardinals, and I wonder whether. You know, remember the 49ers had to get rid of uh, Mark Nazatra. They don't really have a special teams ace. And I think they're sort of eyeing him as a gunner, one of their core special teamers moving forward. So they're even doing sort of small ticket things like that uh, to get things going. But like I said, overall, uh, it's a pretty good roster. Uh, and uh, it's basically being set up for the draft to sort of be the the cherry on top to fill in those last few holes, Dennis. Um, and we've talked about it. There's probably still a couple on that defensive line. If they brought back Kerry Hyder, and I know you're a fan of him, um, I think that would be a really nice move. I mean, Hyder uh, seems to me to be somebody who could, if Nick Bosa isn't 100% at the start of the season, you can bring in Hyder for a little bit, give Bosa more breaks than he would normally get. And then he would be basically the captain of that second unit, which the 49ers um, put a lot of emphasis on. I mean, they're, they're really not scrubs on the 49ers. They want those guys to be really good, and, and Hyder would fit that bill nicely. Talk about the D-line, you got to talk about D. Ford. And with his contract restructuring, you know, it freed up some money, but he's still going to be a 49er, and it was cheaper to kind of keep him than to kind of release him and cut him. So if he's a 90%, you know, D. Ford, I'll take that. And if Nick Bosa is going to come back and be the Nick Bosa that he was in his rookie season, I'll take that as far as a pass rush goes. But it's interesting, you go out and, and, and you you sign a kid, you know, Samson, what is, is it? Ebucom. Yeah, you sign him and you give him a nice contract. Is he, you know, he's a linebacker slash type of pass rusher guy, but is he going to be your edge guy if D Ford can't play? And then you re-sign DJ Jones. So, I mean, that defensive line is strong with Ken Law and then, you know, Armstead, once you get him in the right position, I think he'd be, he'll be fine. Uh, and then, you know, Nick Bosa, if he comes back the way he was two seasons ago, that defensive line is, is is pretty darn strong. Well, there's a school of thought that says that DJ Jones's injury in 2019 uh, was maybe not as impactful, but also had an impact on the 49ers Super Bowl loss. Uh, everybody talks about the Western Richburg injury, right? That one definitely had an impact on the Super Bowl loss. I don't know if DJ Jones's injury, which happened in the same game against New Orleans, 
and he never returned that year. Uh, had quite the same blow uh, to the 49ers, but I think he had a big one as far as defensive line depth was concerned. I mean, DJ Jones moved bodies, absorbed double teams. At his best, when he's fully healthy, he he's very explosive. And I think that one of the reasons that that 2019 49ers defensive line was so overpowering was because of some of the less heralded pieces like Jones. He, he he was a plus player, a guy that probably would have really stood out on other teams, but he was really drowned out by a lot of the other talent that the 49ers had because they were so stacked on the defensive line. So I thought that was a sneaky good re-signing. I talked with a, a couple people, the 49ers, earlier in the offseason, and they didn't expect to be able to retain DJ Jones. I think he might have even been told to, to start, you know, you can go ahead and start looking for uh, and talking to other teams because we, we don't think we're going to be able to keep you. But I think that the market was much softer than people anticipated beyond day one. And even day one wasn't all too too great for defensive linemen. I thought that we would have seen at least one or two $20 million edge rushers. We didn't see a $20 million edge rusher this year. So I think the 49ers benefited from that. DJ Jones has had some health concerns, and they are able to re-sign him. And th- those are, are the, the acquisitions, Matt, that are going to make – the the difference for the 49ers you know you could talk about the headliners all you want but it's all balance and it's about depth that's what 2019 proved 49ers went almost all the way with balance and with depth you get your dj jones guy uh, like players back your carry hiders back they need a carry hider to replicate what they did in 2019 even if they didn't have him then because they had other guys in 2019 right they had ronald blair for a lot of that season they had demontre moore well carry hider he put on a great 2020 Imagine plugging him into a healthier line that also features Nick Bosa and now also features Sanson Ebicom. I think Kerry Hyder would fit perfectly into a rotation like that because you could really use Ebucom for the more speed rushing, pass rushing situations. Not saying he doesn't have a power move because he definitely has a power move. He could play all three downs, but you get that bigger body with Kerry Hyder who's also versatile in there. And then you have an essentially unbeatable combination for Chris Kosurek on that defensive line. Yeah, I agree with you about the DJ Jones uh, signing being a sneaky good signing. I mean, he's not going to grab a lot of headlines in, in March, but... Um, I just wonder whether, you know, this is, I don't want to say uh, a silver lining, but I, th- I think this is a result of, of COVID and the, um, of, of the cap shrinking. I don't think DJ Jones comes back in a normal cap year, uh, but because that market is soft, because um, so many teams are up against it, there's just no market out there. I mean, uh, there's been so much hand-wringing about the 49ers salary cap situation well the 49ers salary cap compared to the other 32 teams was was actually really good um i don't i forget where they ranked going into free agency but it's allowed them to do all these moves that we're discussing and i think it allowed them to bring back somebody like Kerry Hyder and hopefully uh kwan williams and maybe uh i mean i'm sorry dj jones uh kwan williams and hopefully Kerry Hyder. uh but yeah and then as far as ebucom um, yeah, uh, he's interesting because when, when they signed him and I, I saw his 40 time and I saw his weight, came into the league only 240 pounds, I thought, okay, they're, they're looking at him as that that speed rusher. They're, he's the new D Ford. He'll come in, play maybe 45, 50% of the snaps. I, I talked to the agent the other day and he said, no, they were telling us that we want him to be a three-down lineman, uh, you know, basically playing opposite 
um, uh, Nick Bosa this season. So we'll have to wait and see how that goes. I'm, I'm still a little bit skeptical. He just seems perfect for more of that, that turbo uh, uh, pass rusher that they were just lacking altogether last year. But uh, if he can do it, and he's about 250, 251 now, uh, so he's a little stouter. But uh, I just wonder whether he can be the three-down guy that uh, that he's being advertised as. Because he was an outside linebacker, Dennis, for the Rams. Dropped into coverage quite a bit. Speedy guy. But he's only, uh, he's just a hair under 6'2", uh, 250. Doesn't have the longest arms. I just I just wonder whether he can be a, uh, a defensive end who plays 75% of the snaps each game. And I looked at a you know, couple highlight reels or highlight on YouTube or whatever, and, you know, he's he is that guy that he, he's a turbo guy. He can be physical, but he wants to play on the edge. And when you're on the same defense as, as an Aaron Donald, you don't get that much publicity. But um, he's a guy that can that can rush on the edge and, you know, he can be physical at times. I see him more as a outside linebacker and you, and you, you use him in packages where you can kind of bring him off the edge. But I think he's going to fit better in maybe a coverage. I, mean, I think he's going to fall in well, you know, with Fred Warner, and he's going to be a guy that um, kind of an outside linebacker guy. And then on third down, I can see him coming in and trying to put some pressure. I think when you're a 49er fan and, and you hear edge rusher, you know, you think it's going to be, you know, some big time name guy, big time signing, and, and you go out and you bring this kid in. But I think he's going to fit in well with his defense because he can get in on you know, that third down and give you that that wide nine pass rush just to put some pressure. I mean, he's not a big sack guy. You know, he's not a guy that's going to give you, you know, 10 sacks a season I don't know but he's a guy that can give you some consistent pass rush and that's what they need you know on the other side especially if you know if Nick Bolsa is going to be the player that we all know he can be and if D Ford's not going to be on the football field you just need some kind of consistent pass rush from that other edge well Ebucom only got like 160 or 170 pass rush snaps last year because the Rams used him really situationally just like you were outlining there Dennis but his pressure rate was in between 12 and 13%, which is which is really good. The NFL average is between 9 and 10%. So pressure rate's a good way to isolate how good of a pass rusher a guy is independent of how many pass rushing attempts he has because I think he only had four or five sacks, but if he only has four or five over a limited opportunity, that means the guy is getting pressure. But as you said, Dennis, the question is, if the 49ers do what Matt thinks they might do, I think they might do it too because I do like his power move more than uh, you know you might expect based on his weight. That means he's going to get more pass rushing opportunities. And can he keep up that 12 to 13% pressure rate with more of those chances? If he can, then boy, the 49ers have a gem here, a diamond in the rough for $6 million average a year. I think only like a $3.75 million cap hit after they did the backloading. So uh, that'd be all good for the 49ers. I think he's got a great motor. I think he's going to make this defensive line better. But even at, at, at his very ceiling, I think that physical realities come into play. And if he's only weighing 250 pounds and change, you still need your 260 to 275 pounder. And that's Kerry Hyder. I mean, uh, I don't think we should be overlooking how well Kerry Hyder played for the 49ers last year. Double digits and sacks, played the run well. I mean, the guy can play inside, outside, everywhere. It just seems to me like a dream to finish this defensive line. And if Chris Kosurik likes the guy, then you should sign him, in my opinion, if you have the money. And I think that the 49ers have the money, Matt. I calculate them to have about $12 million of room right now. And Kerry Hyder, he hasn't flown off a shelf yet. 
all these other edge rushers that are signing now, even Hassan Reddick only got $8 million this year. You take a $6, 7000000 million contract and you backload it, he'll fit in there nicely, and I think the 49ers would be good to go on defense. So here's a question I'll, I'll pose to both of you guys. If, if you had to choose, and, I, and I, re, I realize it's not quite an either-or at this point, but if you had to choose between re-signing Kerry Hyder and re-signing Kwan Williams, who would you take? Uh, I'll, go with, I'll go with Dennis first. Kwan. Wow. Why? Why? I think Kwan. I think he is probably the best nickel corner coverage wise, and and he's great on run support. And he kind of brings that secondary, the 49ers secondary. He he was that guy. You know, he was that guy that was going to make the plays and put his nose in there and run. He's good at covering these little quick twitch, you know, flanker receivers. I think he is somebody that the 49ers really do need to resign. I'm going to go with who I thought you were going to say, being a former defensive lineman. Yeah, I, I'm I would surprised. bring Kerry Hyder back. Uh, my plan would be to draft. If you can't, I, you know, in, in an ideal world, I'd bring both of them back. I think the 49ers can do it. I think the 49ers might do it. Um, but if I'm being told I can only pick one, I'd pick Hyder. I mean, the, the, it was a 10-sack guy last year, right, or 9.5 or whatever it was. He did it without Nick Bosa on the other end. Uh, I, I really think that give him a year here with the rest of that line healthier than it was last year, I, I really like what Kerry Hyder would be able to bring in such a situation, and I really do think also that he's the last piece that that defensive line needs. I know it's complicated how they like to mix and match all the pieces, but after they picked up DJ Jones, uh, you know, re-signed him and picked up Sanson Ebicom, I really think that Hyder is that, 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 that versatile, heavier piece that they need. And I would go ahead and draft Elijah Molden out of Washington. He, uh, I love his tape. Versatile DB, but I think he'd fit perfectly in the slot in the NFL. But, yeah, I mean, Dennis's point is well taken. Kwan Williams is a domino effect kind of player. He makes everybody in that secondary and on that whole defense better. And it, it, players say that. Coaches say that. Everybody's a step quicker because Kwan Williams disrupts stuff. He, he's, you know, it, it, that lightning rod in the middle of the defense that, that's so versatile, either in run support, blitzing, or in coverage, that he impacts everybody else. So I think he's an important re-signing, too. I just think that if I had to choose one or the other, I would go for a draft replacement there. And Kerry Hyder's a proven defensive lineman. He's savvy. I would re-sign him. Matt, well, who would you pick? I'd go with Hyder, too. I'm still trying to get over the fact that Dennis didn't pick a defensive lineman for this uh, either You or. guys are forgetting about Contavious <laughs> Street. I mean, he's still on the football team. Kevin yeah, Gibbons is still out there. Yeah, he's more of there. an interior guy. I think they want him. Yeah, but him. The, the defense is deep, guys. This defensive line is deep. When they're healthy, they are deep. And then you bring in this kid now from the Rams. This defensive front is going to be deep. You need that secondary. I'll tell you what I like about the guy from the Rams. Uh, I'm, I'm looking at his stats. I'm, I'm looking at his uh, games played year by year, Dennis, and it's 16, 16, 16, and 16. Nice. I mean, that's that to me has got to be a theme for the 49ers this year, bringing yeah. in guys that have durability. And, you know, Alex Mack has just fantastic durability over his career, Trent Williams, um, it, it's been up and down, but he's mostly played uh, uh, every game um, in, in his seasons, too. So, um, you know, th- that's what I like about Ebicom. I think that they need to look for those types of guys, you know, coming up um, in the draft as well. Um, health has got to be a major thing. And, and, and maybe that's why I'm leaning towards Kerry Hyder 
in this Hyder uh, or Williams matchup. Williams is, is a small guy. I mean, and I love how he plays. Um, he, he's right around the line of scrimmage. He's so feisty. He puts his nose in there. Uh, but I just worry about him, you know, routinely getting nicked up, which was the, the case with him, which was the case with just about every 49er last year. I don't want to single him out. But uh, I just think think that you can uh, rely on a, on a bigger-bodied guy to, to make it through the season uh, more than uh, the smallest guy on the team. You know, they just let a guy that was really durable go, and when you're reading off Sanson Ebucom's track record, I realized that, Maybe they have something in the water there in eastern Washington that keeps these players healthy. Kendrick Bourne, who's now a Patriot, he was 16, 16, 16, and then 15. And the 15 was because of a positive COVID test. Oh, right, yeah. That might not have even been him having the virus. That was really right. disputed. So Kendrick Bourne never missed a game due to injury. His college teammate, same classmate, they, they both uh, graduated from Eastern Washington in the same year. Sansom Ebucom didn't either, although Cooper Cup has missed time. So I guess that Yeah, that, Cooper Cup had the ACL. That. But Cooper Cup has actually come back from the ACL faster than before he had it. He basically uh, relearned how, how to move. Uh, in a way that doesn't compromise his ACL, and it was a more efficient way, and he's he's actually faster. So, Dennis, here, here's the story. Uh, all three of those guys, Ebucom, Cooper Cup, and Kendrick Bourne, were at the Eastern Washington Pro Day back in 2017. Ebucom smoked those two receivers in the 40. He ran like a 4-4-5, and the two receivers were in the 4-6 range, uh, and it blew everybody away, and it really helped his his draft status. And so... The Rams went to go see Cooper Cup. They obviously liked Cooper Cup, drafted him in the, in the third, and then they drafted Ebucom in the fourth that same year. Uh, so that just kind of goes to show what kind of uh, movement, what kind of speed this guy has coming off the edge. I love the word turbo. I mean, he can be that guy, especially in this wide nine. I mean, this wide nine, you have to have burners on the outside. You got to have just fast guys. And, you know, D Ford is basically an outside linebacker. Yeah. And, you know, who can get up the field. He can kind of run the bubble. He can dip his shoulder. And he's a sack guy. But I think this kid is a guy that can flush a quarterback. I mean, I think he's athletic enough, you know, when you're playing the Cardinals, and you're playing the Seahawks, he's athletic enough to maybe run down a Russell Wilson. And when it comes to, you know, the run, I mean, he can be physical. He is a defensive line. He's a defensive player. He can be physical. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited. You know, I, I hope I can make it to some practices, you know, if, if they're if, – if COVID allows to see how he how he does it in practice. You know, just looking at this kid, I think he's a guy that he can really come off the edge. I think this defensive line, it's always based on Nick Bosa, but if he can come back, I think this defensive line can get back to to being the, that defensive line they were in 2019. And I think this is a good add. I think it's a kind of a low risk. Like a Kerry Hyder. It's it's a kind of a, a low risk. And you get a lot of rewards from this guy. If if Hyder comes back, he comes back. But I think this guy is going to be a good player for this defense. Okay, guys, enough about the defensive line. How about the other line? Because the offensive line for the 49ers saw a transformative night when they re-signed Trent Williams I think the best left tackle in football still. They'll try to squeeze it in here during the last couple of years of his prime. But they also got the NFL's uh, all-decade team center from the 2010s. They got Alex Mack on the same night. So 
I mean, two former all pros on the same line now next year. I think the 49ers offensive line is still going to add another piece. I really think they need a solid sixth man, but probably going to go through the draft for that kind of player because he can develop maybe under an Alex Mack and then become the center for the 49ers in the future or step right into right guard. Who knows? But I think that they're not done yet along the offensive front. But uh, I know we spent this whole podcast, uh, me especially, just banging the drum for, you know, improvement was needed along the offensive line, especially in pass blocking for the 49ers over the past two years, especially last year, got really bad center was the spot that was most problematic. Well, it didn't take long for the 49ers to really address that issue. And Alex Mack is a player that, uh, you know, we talked about Richard Sherman a couple years ago whenever we said, oh, the 49ers run the cover three Seattle scheme defense. Every cornerback we compared to Richard Sherman. And then they signed Richard Sherman, the prototype himself. Well, for the 49ers offensive line, when you talk about a Shanahan line, the prototype himself is Alex Mack, right? Alex Max played for Shanahan in Cleveland in 2014. He played for Shanahan in Atlanta in 2016. He's synonymous with the outside zone. He's synonymous with cerebral football from the center position. And obviously, he's an aging veteran, but he's still got some left in the tank. And the 49ers now have him on their team. And Matt, I think that that is the one biggest key so far for the 49ers to improve the offensive line because they already had Trent Williams last year. They just retained him. That's obviously huge. But as far as taking this line to the next level, they really needed that center and they needed a center who'd make everybody around him better. I think they have a chance with that through Alex Mack. Yeah, basically, they've got the veteran center that this team was missing all of last year. Now, now, he was a, a member of the all-decade team. Unfortunately, that decade was last decade, and you know he is 35 going on 36, so that's going to be something to watch, and I did mention his superior durability over his career, but when you get into your late 30s, which he's doing, that tends to go down. You mentioned going into the draft for somebody. This is a good draft for offensive tackles. I mean, Joe Staley is actually training four of them, and uh, all four are draft-worthy guys, starting with uh, the guy who who blocks for Trey Lance at North Dakota State. Um, Can't remember his name right now. Oh, Dylan Radunes, uh, good left tackle, would probably play right tackle in the NFL, but they're going to have some intel on a lot of these guys, and, um, you know, given uh, Alex Mack's age, I wonder whether Drew Dahlman uh, Stanford center, uh, son of Chris, uh, who went from Stanford to the 49ers, wouldn't be a good pick uh, at, at some point in the draft where you're not expecting much from him in 2021, but he learns from um, a veteran like Mac. Okay, Mac went to Cal, Dolman went to Stanford. They're going to have to get over their differences, but that would seem to be a good sort of mentor protege relationship that could really benefit the 49ers down the line. They need a young guy. I don't know why they just don't develop a young center, uh, develop Brunskill or or develop somebody else to to be that center of the future. Um, They keep bringing in veterans for that, but uh, that would be an opportunity, I think, to, to do exactly that. Alex Mack, I think he kind of locks down this 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 offensive line. And and I guess if you look at it, you got Williams, McGlinchey, and you know, that right guard is still a position there. You know, is, is it gonna be Tom Compton? Is it gonna be, you know, last year's draft pick? Uh McKivitz, is he gonna be the guy that steps up? Or, you know, is it gonna be the whole season kind of wondering if Brunskill's gonna play all the positions again? So I like that pick, and that was one of the parts of the team that I thought the 49ers kind of had to address. I think 
think when you go out and get a veteran, even though he's, you know, 35 years old, but he's still a veteran. He's a, you know, he's a solid center. He's proved himself in the NFL. He knows the game. There's nothing that you're going to do. There's no learning curve. He's played under Kyle Shanahan in this offense. I think it's just a plus plus. I think this offensive line, once you get that right guard, you go in the draft or maybe there's another free agent out there. But, you know, on paper, this offensive line looks a whole lot better than, than it did last season. Yep, uh, that, that's the key. It needed to be better. There was no way that the 49ers could be seen as legitimate contenders if their offensive line got worse than it was last year because it was already bad. So that's why re-signing Trent Williams was so important. You had to keep the sense that you were moving forward and why signing Alex Mack right after him uh, was also vital because that center position affects everything else. I do think, and I'm adamant about this, that they need that sixth man along the offensive line that uh, can really be trusted and can really develop into an integral role. My evidence for that is 2019. Daniel Brunskill was effectively that sixth man. He played three different positions in that season. In 2020, he played his fourth position. He started at all of them except for left guard. And he was extremely effective and he was extremely needed at those different positions because injuries happen, especially to the 49ers. So if you want to go through a full season and stay powerful up front, which is a prerequisite to win the Super Bowl, you need to have depth in that offensive line room. Brunskill took that opportunity and ran with it. Now he's a starter at right guard for the 49ers, and they, they need their Daniel Brunskill uh, again, and it's going to have to be somebody else than Daniel, Daniel Brunskill because he's a starter now in 2021. It's really hard to find those guys later on in the draft. We've seen Colton McKivitz. We've seen Justin School. I know Matt is a little higher on Colton McKivitz than I am, um, you know. but if, if we get similar play from both of those, those guys in 2021, uh, that's not good enough. That's not good enough to be the sixth man that the 49ers need. I think it's just really a crapshoot in the draft when you're starting to pick a lineman in the fifth round and below. I do think they need to use a higher pick rounds one through three on, on that guy this year. And maybe it's going to be uh, Creed Humphrey, you know, center from Oklahoma that can fill in at right guard right away, maybe even start at right guard to push Brunskill back into six-man mode, and then he could become the center after he learns from Alex Mack. I think that's a necessary step this team has to take to be back in Super Bowl contention. But um, they've already made huge strides along the offensive line. And Matt, that's good news for the man who we haven't named yet, Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo has worked with below average pass protection so far in his 49ers tenure. He takes a lot of heat, but I think that if the 49ers can finish the job along the offensive line, he's going to have an opportunity that he hasn't had before. And, and that's a chance to work out of a pocket with, with, with a solid offensive line in pass protection in front of him. Yeah, a quarterback's best friend is a smart veteran chef because a he protects him well and uh, also takes a lot of the, the load off of him uh, as far as kind of calling out the defense and the protections and, and stuff like that so um, yeah Garoppolo loves the moves that they made um, you know his blind side being protected by the best left tackle in the in the game and then having a really savvy smart and we talked we talked to Alex Mack today Thursday um, and he just came off as uh, a really down-to-earth um, smart veteran guy. So he's going to be a nice addition to that team, to that offense, to that locker room. And uh, you're right, Jimmy Garoppolo is the uh, the biggest beneficiary. Um, uh, uh, you know, the, the question now becomes, all right, what else do the 49ers need? You know, let's, if they stick with Jimmy Garoppolo, and it looks like they, they are, uh, what do they need to make that decision 
uh, a good one. And and I think it's it's two things. I think that they they, they keep kind of putting this task off because it's not quite a burning need, but it's still a need, and, and that's that number two tight end. Uh, and they you know they did sort of the uh, the El Cheapo move uh, last year in signing. Jordan Reed just before training camp start started, and they'll probably do something similar this year. But they really could use a a, a great number two uh, there, just because um, that that player would be utilized uh, very well. Um, and then the other part is uh, a, a good slot receiver. We we talked about Kendrick Bourne. Um, he played uh, a lot of snaps out of the slot, and he was a, a favorite target of Jimmy Garoppolo's in gotta have it situations, third down, red zone. Uh, right against the goal line, places like that. And he came through more times than he didn't. So they, they need to figure out who's going to play that. And uh, I, I think that's where the draft really sort of um, is good. They've got to pick in the second. They've got to pick in the third. That's the money round as far as getting that that sort of shifty but still uh, strong um, little slot receiver. I think there's going to be at least a half dozen worthy guys just around that area. You know, Kendrick Bourne's going to be missed. I mean, he he was a guy that, you know, he he made those tough catches over the middle on third down. He dropped, you know, a pass here and there, but he was a guy that, you know, all the quarterbacks kind of counted on on that third down, that situation, possession type of receiver where, you know, he made a lot of those tough catches. And he was a good number three receiver. And I think the 49ers need to go out and find that shifty, that flanker receiver that's gonna, you know, get that separation and to be able to be that target for, Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and I think you're right I think the 49ers have shown and we talked about the quarterback here and there you know what's gonna happen with Jimmy Garoppolo I think it's shown now that they they believe in Jimmy Garoppolo but I wouldn't be surprised still if you go out and and you try to find a a veteran quarterback Joe Flacco was in town I mean you know just to get some veteran quarterback or get your quarterback room to a level where you know there's not going to be a huge drop-off if Jimmy has another one of his classic seasons and he gets hurt early and misses the entire football season. So Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch have shown how serious they are on that offensive line to try to solidify that offensive line. And now you, you you have to talk about your receiving core and you have to talk about your quarterback and your quarterback room. Who's in that room if something happens to Jimmy Garoppolo? Well, Joe Flacco is interesting because I mean, we think about how polarizing Jimmy Garoppolo is for reasons that are hard to understand. It, I mean, it, it's either people absolutely love the guy or they just absolutely hate his guts and um, I'm not really sure what he ever did to them it it seems like it's just not acceptable to take a middle of the ground fair view of Jimmy Garoppolo it seems that everybody especially on social media wants you to take a side well it's been the same way for Joe Flacco for like 10 years I mean he was Jimmy Garoppolo before Jimmy Garoppolo was in the league when it came to that kind of weird reputation polarization thing what if the 49ers had both of those guys on their roster? I mean, it, it, that would really cause a meltdown, I think, amongst like 2 or 3% of the fan base. It already started this afternoon, Thursday afternoon, when the 49ers uh, you know, were working Joe Flack, not working him out, but hosting him on a, on a visit. Uh, God, some people just reacted so viscerally online. I'm like, guys, this is a backup who made $1.5 million last year. He's not going to make any more this year. That's nothing. That's essentially the league minimum. It, it doesn't move the needle at all. Even if you want the 49ers to draft a quarterback, it, it doesn't have an impact on that. They'll still draft a quarterback if they want to. They're just doing what John Lynch said they would do a couple weeks ago, and they're trying to find some veteran insurance. 
who's better than Nick Mullins. And sorry for people that don't want to hear this, but Joe Flacco is better than Nick Mullins, period. It's, it's, it's not up for debate. Joe Flacco is better than Nick Mullins, and that's all the 49ers are doing. Matt, why is this so controversial? It's a cheap backup quarterback that they don't want throwing two pick sixes a game. <laughs> you would think that once you win a Super Bowl, you're a made man and your hand is stamped. Like you could, you're you're not going to get criticized for the rest of your life. <laughs> Poor Joe Flacco uh, is uh, a case in point that that's not true. I think Eli Manning also is a a case in point that that's not true. Everybody seems to hate their starting quarterback. Like Patrick Mahomes, and for a little while now, Tom Brady are the only people, only starting quarterbacks, uh, who don't get criticized heavily. Um, and, and usually the most popular guy is the, the number two. And the most popular guy, it seems to me, for the 49ers is, is the number three, uh, Josh Rosen, who's been terrible uh, early in his career, <laughs> who doesn't, who doesn't uh, you know the offense, ha- has barely e- even practiced with the team. And I, I get all this, this Twitter feedback about he should not only be the number two, he should be the starter on this team. So he's gone, <laughs> he's gone from like bottom of the heap to, uh, you know, but that's just the way it is. I mean, I, I made the illusion that uh, NFL quarterbacks are to Americans what the Royals are to Britons. Like the, the, you, 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 you follow them, you love to hate them. Uh, but you, but they're obsessed with them, and they and they move headlines too. So anything about quarterbacks is just controversial. Um, it's it's a real interesting social experiment. Dennis, was it like this? I guess it was. I guess it was back in back in your day. I mean, obviously there were Joe versus Steve controversies, but I I just can't believe it was this haywire back in the the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s. So again, I was really lucky because everybody loved, of course, Joe. And everybody, yes, they wanted Steve to be the starter. Then everybody loved Steve Bono. So they loved the quarterbacks. And when Steve Bono went in the game, you know, Candlestick would go crazy. And once Steve stopped running the ball so much and started throwing the ball to Jerry and and JT, they loved Jerry. And when Joe came back, I think it was that Minnesota game after he was hurt, the crowd went crazy for Joe. So quarterbacks, I I would hate to be the, uh, I don't understand why you want to be a quarterback. Just so much pressure is on you. You know, to perform and, and to be that guy. And as soon as you make that mistake, it's it. Game over. We need a new quarterback. And Dave, you're right. I don't I don't get the criticism. I understand it because, you know, he's been injured two out of the three seasons. But dang it, the one season he was healthy, the 49ers were in the Super Bowl. And they were, whatever, a quarter away from winning a Super Bowl. And you missed that throw. And, and then everyone gives up on you. So it's a tough position to play. And I, I just wonder how thick the skin is on, you know, NFL quarterbacks. It has to be very thick. But, you know, again, I was lucky. You know, everyone loved the quarterbacks that we had in the house. And then when Joe left, uh, it was, you know, Steve Young, Steve Bono, and Elvis Gerback. And everyone loved the third string quarterback. So a lot of love was going around, you know, when I was with the 49ers. I just think that Jimmy Garoppolo and, you know, I guess his ancestor when it comes to uh, quarterbacks who aren't really appreciated for, you know, just operating a game. In a, in a winning fashion, that's Joe Flacco. I think uh, b- both of those guys uh, need a little bit more even-keeled reporting, a little bit more even-keeled appreciation of uh, of what they do. And and I have this to say, Matt. You know, everybody talks about quarterback wins are not a stat, blah blah blah, all this and all that. Even though wins, I think, are the you know 
goal of, of playing football, right? You're trying to win the game. Fine. You could tell me that quarterback wins are not a stat, but that means that quarterback losses are not a stat either. So don't go out and say, oh, you know, 49ers win a big game against the Saints. You're not going to credit Jimmy Garoppolo. Don't go and say that it's his fault when they lose two weeks later. You know, at least be consistent and say that it's a team effort both times. I think that's where Jimmy Garoppolo and Joe Flacco have suffered the most in public perception is that this selective judgment. Some people uh, are going out and crediting them or for every loss, and I guess not credit. They're blaming them for every loss and not crediting them for, for wins when the truth is never binary, right? The truth is somewhere in between, and that's where uh, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan are operating with this. They've never gone out and said that Jimmy Garoppolo is the next coming of Joe Montana, but he doesn't have to be the next coming of Joe Montana to be a good quarterback that can allow you to win and even take you to a Super Bowl. He has to be good. And he has to be on a flexible contract for them to keep him. And that's what they're doing. Same thing with Joe Flacco. He doesn't have to be a starting caliber quarterback. He needs to be better than Nick Mullins. I mean, people just don't seem to realize that there are different gradients and different bars that the 49ers are evaluating here uh, to fill their starting quarterback position, which is obviously already occupied by Jimmy Garoppolo, and then their backup quarterback spot, which may be occupied by Joe Flacco. So here's my question. Let's say that they sign Joe Flacco. Uh, so they'll have Joe Flacco, uh, they'll have Jimmy Garoppolo, Joe Flacco, and the Joshes, Josh Rosen and uh, Josh Johnson. Does that mean that they're out of the drafting a, a quarterback game? Because uh, that's that's how I see it. But most other people seem to think that they're definitely going to draft a quarterback this year. I just, I mean, I, I was watching the, uh, the Trey Lance uh, workout last week. The 49ers sent a couple of scouts up there. They didn't send any of their bigwigs up there. I don't think that this is a team that's particularly interested in drafting a quarterback this year. That's the impression I get. Could be wrong. Uh, I just wanted to see what you guys thought about that. Well, I, I guess you were trying to develop a quarterback and with Nick Mullins and C.J. Beathard. But I, 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 just, I just believe that, you know, you go into the draft, especially a, a position like a quarterback position, you – you get a kid with some talent and then you kind of develop them and you have a, a veteran on your squad that helps helps a kid become a quarter NFL quarterback. Um, you know, I don't I don't see a Joe Flacco thing happen. I don't see a Mitchell Trubisky thing happening. I do see the 49ers going into the draft and, and, and grabbing one of these talented quarterbacks and people are going to be. And once that happens, I think it's going to be it's going to be crazy. Because um, everybody's going to be saying that you know Jimmy's out, this quarterback's in. But I think, I think you know, I'm sure Kyle Kyle Shanahan understands how to develop a quarterback, and his his father did a great job of developing quarterbacks, young quarterbacks that you get out to draft, and and you have a veteran on the team though that can teach him how to become an NFL quarterback. Without pounding the Josh Rosen drum too hard, I think there's a definite chance that Josh Rosen is the rookie that everybody has been looking for, right? I, I always think about the, the Star Wars scene, and I tweeted about it today, when Obi-Wan and Luke are going into the, the city on the desert and uh, the, the Imperial stormtroopers are looking for the droids, right? And, and Obi-Wan says, uh, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Well, I think Kyle Shanahan's Obi-Wan and Josh Rosen is the droid. Everybody's looking for 
the rookie, right? They think the 49ers are going to draft him, but Shanahan might just be sneaking Josh Rosen by everybody. They don't even know it. He He's the guy that he might be trying to develop. He might be seeing something that uh, you know Miami and Arizona weren't able to untap because they had the worst offensive lines in football. I, I don't know for sure if that's the case, but I think that we can't rule it out as a possibility, especially if the 49ers do sign Joe Flacco because that gives them their veteran insurance, and then you could really – hope that Josh Rosen has some room to breathe and develop in the system. Uh, it, it is also possible that your guy, Matt, and I, it's funny that I say your guy about the Stanford guy, <laughs> but but you wrote the article about him. I know that uh, uh, you, you think he's undervalued. Uh, Davis Mills, Stanford quarterback, who's torn, I think, his ACL twice, so that's probably going to make 49ers fans cringe because I think he tore one in, in, in high school and then, then again later on before college. You could correct me if I'm wrong. I should know this since I say that I follow Stanford. But anyway, he has – prior knee injury history, but but the guy probably won't go in the first round. And that might be the best of both worlds solution for the 49ers if they don't really believe in Josh Rosen, right? Because they could draft uh, Davis Mills later on, not use that very premier pick, and then they do have their rookie, yet they can still improve the roster with the first rounder uh, used on an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman or, or cornerback or, or whatever they want. Yeah, the, the problem with that scenario, though, is that we've, we've already talked about the, the need to draft a defensive end, the need to draft a cornerback, the need to draft an offensive lineman. Uh, and now a quarterback, and they only have uh, three picks in the first three rounds. So something's going to get missed. Um, and, um, you know, I, I agree with you guys with with those other positions. Offensive line needs to I, – I, I just feel like you're probably right where they see Rosen as sort of the developmental guy. Um, and um, I just think that they're going to bypass the quarterback. Having said that, I think Mills is, is perfect for this offense. Uh, and it's probably going to be really good. Um, I just think you have to use a, a second-round pick to get him, and I, I think the 49ers have eyes on other positions in the second round. Matt, I want to set the record straight, uh, and you know better. He's only torn his ACL once, right? I don't want to say he's torn it twice. Well, it's, it's a good question because uh, it's never really been revealed what the injury was, and he was asked that today, and um, he was very standoffish about that. Um it's been reported that it's uh, it's an ACL, but I don't think it's ever been verified. And um, the the history on it is is very odd because it's it's been the same knee, but he's never really missed a full season either, which is what you would expect if it was that full ACL tear. That's enough for me. Ah, yeah, <laughs> right, That's exactly. Rough. And a lot and a lot of fans too. <laughs> yeah, we one thing we don't need here is is the Trent Bulky bring in. Injured guys. I mean, that is just good. But he's not injured now, Dennis. He's not I have now. to say, and we rewrote this in an article that Matt and I co-wrote a couple months ago. And hey, I agree. You want more durable guys, but this just proves that there is never a hard and fast rule to anything. Frank Gore had two ACL tears before he even stepped onto the field in the NFL for the 49ers. And Frank Gore ended up being one of the most durable running backs in NFL history. So if the 49ers had followed that hard and fast rule throughout all their history, the 49ers fans wouldn't even know who Frank Gore is right now. So, yes, I agree. But there's always that asterisk, right? So you never know who can overcome this kind of stuff. And um, it's just one of those things where I think in this league, you just have to get lucky at some point. You can have a guy with a terrible injury history that never gets hurt again. And you could have a guy that's never been hurt before that starts getting hurt all the time after you sign him. 
the 49ers with Jimmy Garoppolo, I would say, Matt, that, that they're hoping that uh, it's going to be the former, right? He, he's had a pretty bad injury history. Um, but look at Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford is now known as one of the more durable quarterbacks around. His first couple years with Detroit, he was hurt just as often as Jimmy Garoppolo is right now. So the 49ers uh, need Garoppolo to you know, either get luckier or figure something out with his diet. Maybe talk to Alex Mack, his new center. Alex Mack is coming off a 90-game start streak at a very physical offensive line position. So uh, some of that mojo needs to transfer to Jimmy Garoppolo for the 49ers to have better luck at that injury, uh, at that quarterback position as far as it comes uh, goes with injuries. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, no, no guys with long injury backgrounds. <laughs> can't, can't bring any more of those in. Um, and I feel bad about saying that because Davis Mills today just ran like a four, five, eight, forty-yard dash. So he, he seems pretty spry, despite his knee history. But um, yeah, I mean, I think you're looking for the cleanest bills of health that you can possibly find, both in free agency and the draft. And you know, one guy we didn't talk about was Kyle Uzcheck. He is important to this offense, and <laughs> and he's making a lot of money for a. For a fullback, but a fullback position is is super important in the Kyle Shanahan offense. And it's good to see that on the defensive side, you've addressed some things. And, and on the offensive side, you know, that tackle position and your fullback position, I think you got two of the best in the NFL and you're able to keep them on your roster. I think that's a win for the 49ers. Yeah, it's been an active uh, week here in free agency so far. They have addressed a lot of those holes with... Uh, Juszczyk being one of them. They, they need that pullback who has that domino effect on the rest of the offense. Some would argue that Kwan Williams is that guy on defense. I think Dennis would argue that for sure. Yes. I think so as well. So we'll see if that's next. Kwan Williams, Kerry Hyder, maybe a surprise name. Next time we talk to you, we'll probably have the answer. So anyway, thanks for listening to this prolonged episode of Here's the Catch. Hope that we brought some insight, answered all your questions, and we'll talk to you next time. For Matt Barrows and Dennis Brown, this is David Lombardi signing off and have a fun rest of free agency.